Hello, and welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode number 103, The Anointed, recorded June 25th, 2013. The Lord be with you. And I want to share with you tonight a verse that has been very important in my own life. And I would just like to share the thought of it, as much we could say, but I want to give you the essence of it. It's in Psalm 92 and in verse 10. And there it says, and David is uh, praising God in this. He said, but my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. And it's specifically that last phrase, I've been anointed with fresh oil. Basically, he's giving a triumphant testimony of how he had been strengthened to overcome all the enemies that would harass him and seek to pressure him away from the purpose of God. And he describes that strengthening and that ability to be all that he was called to be in these two phrases. Uh, and as I say, especially that last one. So he says, my horn you've exalted like a wild ox. You, you'll read something like that elsewhere in, in the Psalms. The horn was always looked upon as strength uh, in that the animals that populated uh, Israel in those days, they, the, the males and the strength was the horned ones. And, and he's describing here basically a buffalo and describing its enormous horn and, and uh, head that, that is a horn and, and the strength with which that animal can move. And so he says that my horn, my strength, my strength has been strengthened and I have been exalted over those that would pressure me and harass me to destroy me. You've given me that strength, and I feel, and he uses the, the imagery of, of being a wild buffalo. And then he said, and he changes the illustration here, which is um, what I want to specifically look at. He says, you've anointed, uh, I have been anointed with fresh oil. Now, <clears throat> the anointing with oil, you will find it uh, throughout the scripture. Sometimes it's very specific in your face. At other times, it slides by you hardly noticing. But the anointing with oil, it was central to the society, to the family, uh, to the individual, and also to the um, whole corporate existence of Israel. An anointing with oil is a, shall I say, a living symbol, uh, or could I say it was a symbol? I mean, it was oil, but it was a symbol, but it was a symbol that actually conveyed what it symbolized. And, and so they spoke of the oil uh, as the reality, not merely as the symbol. And so to be anointed with oil, they saw that as the reality taking place. And what was the reality? I should have said that first. 
The reality, you might remember that in 1 Samuel, uh, when Saul had been rejected as king, that the old prophet Samuel went to David, who was a young, young teenager, shepherd lad, and he takes a whole, uh, it was a whole horn, a hollowed out horn of some animal full of oil, and he poured it over the head of David. And the scripture specifically says, and this is where the symbol and the reality come together. It says that as Samuel anointed David with oil, that the Holy Spirit came upon David from that moment on. Oil throughout the scripture, Old and New Testament, is a symbol of the activity, the ministry to us of the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, so having said that, how did they use oil? That's, that's the, the, the whole key to this, because when David said it, when it's used elsewhere, as I say, oil, the use of oil was omnipresent to the Israeli people. And so understanding how they used it will give us the clue to how we understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. I think that will become clearer. Okay, what was the oil? It was in every house. Everybody had a bottle of oil. Uh, It was the most important thing you had because, A, uh, you cooked with it, though that's not what we're talking about here, but also you took that olive oil and you mixed it with aromatic herbs and flowers to create a a perfume, a sweet-smelling oil. And, And what you mixed in it depended very much on how you were going to use it. And so here it is, this this oil that had this beautiful aroma to it and it was placed in a bottle a very special bottle and um, some of the oils were very expensive depending how they'd been mixed and so placed in very expensive bottles and and of course I I say this pretty obvious but they, they had to then pour the oil from whatever the container was, they poured the oil, and in so doing, they poured the oil over the person, and the scent, the perfume, the aroma is released, not only to the person, but also usually filling the whole room as it is released. It was applied very generously to the head. Now, I I don't know if you know this, but the the fastest way to get anything uh, into your brain and from your brain to your whole person is through your nose. If anything goes through your nose, it goes immediately up through your nose into your brain and your brain then to the rest of your body, immediate. And, And that could be substance, but also in this case, it is speaking of the, the scent, the aroma, uh, and, and smells do something to us. Smells can 
cause us to throw up. Smells can make us feel weak and nauseous and sap the strength from us, but smells can also give us strength and invigoration. And so this oil that the Israelite people had was one that would invigorate you and strengthen you as it went up your nostrils. The scent of it would go up your nostrils into your brain and flood all of the cells of your body and you would be strengthened and you would be uplifted by this. Um, and they, they, as it came upon their head, they would rub it across their skin. And so you'll speak uh, in, in various parts of the scripture that the face glistens or the face is radiant because of the oil that had been rubbed into it and, and now had a, a shimmering, shining effect. And, and so this, this was oil in, in the Bible as I say, omnipresent. Um, in terms of the nation, nationally, oil was used to set apart a person publicly to be a king or a prophet or a priest. And you will read of that in the scripture. Uh, we've already referenced maybe the most important one is when Samuel poured the oil on David's head and designated him. Once that oil came on his head, he was designated, he was set aside to be the king of Israel, the king of God's people. And that, then also you may remember Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was anointed and set apart to be the prophet. That is not as obvious or as common in the scripture, but it's there. Uh, set apart to be the prophet, the mouthpiece, the voice of God among the people. And then in uh, Exodus, and you, you will read of the anointing of the priests uh, to be those who represented the people to God and so on. Uh, and with that oil on their heads, the, these specific persons set apart by, by the anointing with oil, they now know, and this is where it moves, it was oil on their head, and yet it was a symbol that conveyed what it symbolized. And so they were enabled within enabled, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do and to be all that they were called to be. Um, you would be strengthened, uh, mentally strengthened. Solomon, you remember, it was specifically in wisdom. Um, they, they were gifted to be the king. It takes uh, unusual wisdom that you're not born with. It, it comes there to do all they have to do, to be the kind of people they have to be, to fulfill the purpose that they were called to, uh, anointed with oil. And um, you remember David in Psalm 51 when he is pouring out his heart because of his great sin with Bathsheba. And in there, his cry is, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And he was speaking there specifically of the Holy Spirit as that spirit was his enabler to be the king and the shepherd of the people of God. 
And, and it refers back to that anointing with oil when he was there with Samuel. When it spoke of Jesus, and Jesus, of course, is the ultimate anointed one. And I don't know, uh, you may not know this, but the word Messiah in the Hebrew language is the anointed. And, and that translates, you translate Messiah into the Greek language of the New Testament, and that word is Christ or Christos. And, and so, <laughs> and incidentally, though I'm leaping ahead of myself here, but the word Christian Christianos in the Greek language. It meant little anointed ones. And so Jesus is the ultimate. Every king was but a shadow of Jesus, the king. Every prophet was but the echo of Jesus, who is the final word, the final outspeaking of the Father, and every priest pointed forward to Jesus, the ultimate and final representative of mankind to, to the Father. And in Isaiah 61, speaking thus of the Messiah, the anointed one, it says, now hear it carefully, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And then goes on to give that long list of what he was anointed to do, which you remember Jesus quoted this in Nazareth in the synagogue. Um, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And it goes on, console those who mourn in Zion, give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, garment of praise for spirit of heaviness. And Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, that he, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus as he had never come upon or united with or partnered with another human being. And Jesus was enabled by the Holy Spirit to fulfill his task. So th this is what we're talking about, the oil that, that <clears throat> thus set apart. But, okay, that, that's a national usage of the word and how it was applied in the minds of the people to the coming Messiah. But then every person in Israel used oil. Okay, we're taking a massive leap here from setting aside a king now right down to you getting out of bed in the morning and washing your face. And what you do before you start the day properly, you anoint your face especially, but your head, it gets into your hair. You anoint your head with oil. And it was looked upon as, how can I put this, a sort of spirit, mental, emotional hygiene. As surely as you would wash your body and anoint your body with this beautiful oil, um, it was looked upon as a washing of yourself inside, an anointing within or you could put it this way, it was anointing your person with oil. How can I put this? A forward joy. 
that is before the day happens you are in the anointing with oil you are receiving the joy of the lord which is your strength and that is spiritual health that is mental health yeah indeed mental health let me say that again this oil of joy uh, lifts the despair lifts the depression fills the emotions and the mind with light it's i say it again it's a spiritual mental emotional hygiene it is receiving joy that will be unfolded throughout the day and the joy of the lord is your inner your mental your emotional strength and so it was looked upon as the invigorating of my whole being it was the revitalizing of my life in my covenant union with God and this simple act that people did every morning as they went out into their world it's even mentioned in one of the Psalms just like that it says that God caused olive trees to grow he gave oil to make our face to shine and remember, we're talking of the symbol, oil, that actually conveys what it symbolizes, the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes our entire being to shine. And um, it, in Ecclesiastes, he mentions it in chapter 9, where, where he speaks of anointing your head and walking thus out into life. Notice I have been referencing this oil specifically as it applies to a personal usage of oil. I've referenced it as the oil of joy. And that is actually quoted. It's in Hebrews chapter 1, comes from the Psalms, the oil of joy. Did we not just read it here in Isaiah 61 that he gives us the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. That is, when I am in a state of despair and darkness, he says, he, he, the anointed one, shares his oil with you and grants you the oil of joy for mourning. It is um, interesting uh, that... If a person wanted the world to know that they were very sad and broken um, with no joy presently in their life, they would deliberately not anoint their head with oil. It's very interesting that the Pharisees of the New Testament often did not anoint their head with oil. And so they went out, and if you could imagine a, a town full of people with glistening faces, and, and here come the religious folk, uh, and, and they look as if they're already half dead because they haven't anointed their head with oil. Why? Because they want everybody to know we are so solemn, we are fasting, we are praying, and we have a burden upon us, and we cannot be as happy as you people because we are spiritual, we are pious. 
Jesus mocked them as hypocrites. He says to us, he said, when you fast and pray and carry the burdens, anoint your head with oil and never let the world think that your walk with God produces a long face. The, the truth is, the truth is, in the world today, in our churches today, there is a deficit of joy. There's more Pharisee faces than glistening faces that have the anointing of the oil of the Holy Spirit. And another time you would not anoint your head with oil is when you are genuinely sick and you're in the house. And then there was oil applied for medicine. Uh, and interesting, and I'm not going into this in any detail, but in James, in chapter 5, is any sick among you? Uh, the elders come and they anoint you with oil, a symbol of the Holy Spirit as our medicine, the Holy Spirit as our health, health to our physical body, the restoration of our body. It's also interesting that um, in the translation of the Old Testament that took place just before the New Testament came about, uh, they translate this verse as refresh my failing strength with fresh oil. You know, there is so much here that is so true. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead makes alive our mortal body. Have you thought about this? The Holy Spirit, and I'm talking on a daily, hourly basis of relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not only our spirit life and our spirit health, but the Holy Spirit is our mental health. Oh, how I'd like to go on and talk about that. Because uh, you, I'm, not, I'm not talking necessarily of persons that have severe mental problems. I'm talking about your, your average person out there that they do not know the joy of the Lord. And therefore their mind is in the biblical sense sick. And your emotions are sick. And we need the Holy Spirit to infuse into us the oil of joy, to anoint us with fresh oil and the joy of the Lord to rise within us. This, this is, is the truth. This is the truth where, where it says the kingdom of God is righteousness, which means walking in harmony with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. It's righteousness, but it is peace, that word shalom, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He is saying the signature of the presence of the kingdom of God is a joy that is ministered to us by the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Yes, joy. Wherever we turn, wherever we turn, religion feels it's necessary to look sad. This is the truth. Religion walks on tiptoe, afraid to make any joyful noise. 
Religion keeps a solemn face. Religion, when even when it does sing, sings in a low monotone. And religion would never clap its hands, raise its hands, or tap its feet because it is bankrupt in joy. It needs the application of the fresh oil. And as I said, this was used by everybody as they would go out into their day anointed with oil to greet their neighbor with the Lord be with you and the response and the Lord bless you. That's what it's about. It's the Holy Spirit's first gift. When you first come to know the Lord, that's the first thing you notice. The artesian well begins to rise of joy, joy, joy in the character of God, joy which is actually joining with God, participating with God in his joy, joy over his own love, participating in God's joy, his delight over you, delighting with God over the sureness of his eventual purpose. This this is it. And I might throw this in, that when the prodigal son came home and the father arrayed him in the best robe, which uh, would be really a better translation, would be a party robe, be, be the, the coat you would wear going to a great celebration. Uh, he would have been anointed. That would have been for sure. And that is the third use of oil in the near Middle East, specifically in Israel, in the days in which we are speaking. If you were a guest in a home, if you were invited to come to a home, or even if you were not invited and you showed up, uh, you, you are immediately welcomed as the guest and you would be anointed with, with oil that was specific for persons coming in off a journey. And, and in those days, days without air conditioning, days um, without even paved pavements, and, and so with dust on your feet, you'd, uh, they'd wash your feet with cool water and they'd pour the oil upon your head, which would revive you from your journey. Every That was, I mean more than just custom it was rigid custom every guest that came in your house was thus anointed if you were the honored guest at a feast you would be very specially set aside anointed with with the oil of joy and that's what i said the the prodigal coming home although it's not mentioned specifically the putting on of that honored uh, coat that said the, that he's the honored guest at a celebration would include the pouring of oil upon the head. It, it was saying to the guest, saying to the honored person that you, you are highly honored. We're, we're not just saying it, we're physically doing something that declares it. And, and you are given ultimate respect and regard as you come into our house. We, we distinguish you. We, we declare in this act of putting sweet oil on your head that you are a wanted friend, and with it we give you a welcome embrace. Do you remember 
this in reverse. When Jesus went to dinner at the house of the Pharisee, do you remember the Pharisee gave uh, an insult which can hardly be put into a context of the West, that he did not anoint Jesus' head or feet with oil. And Jesus points it out. Do you remember the woman then came in and she broke her alabaster bottle, which contained some very costly oil, this kind of oil we're talking about. And she broke it and the aroma filled the house as she washed his feet with her tears and so on. And Jesus pointed out to that Pharisee, when I came to this house, you did not anoint me. You didn't wash my feet. That was the highest insult. Um, I mean, if that happened in uh, the area of world leaders, that would be in itself a declaration of war, not to do that. And the Pharisee hadn't, the guest. And, And so the oil poured upon the head in this sense, it was always associated with celebration. Even in that personal use, you, you, by putting it on, you were going to celebrate life in God and his joy. But as I say, specifically with days when a guest is here, when there's a celebratory uh, feast going on, the oil, it's associated with party clothes, it's associated with dancing, yes it is, with, with much clapping, toe-tapping, spinning around for joy. So it, it's, it's connected, the, the oil of joy, the oil of gladness, and, and that's connected with rejoicing. And you remember the word rejoicing means to leap and spin around. I mean, this is getting extreme rejoicing. It's, it's associated then with, with celebration, with music, with, with a time of great joyous relaxation and rest, sort of at least a day or an evening of vacation, joy, joy, joy. And, and David says that God does this to him when he's surrounded by his enemies. Do you remember Psalm 23? Um, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness, loving kindness follows me all the days of my life. Yeah, he, he is speaking very specifically here uh, of this infusion of joy at points in life, there are times when we need a unique, a special infusion of divine joy that brings with divine strength in order to face life. The, the Holy Spirit comes and, well, it's all of that. It's certainly celebratory. Um but but it also has in it this massive element of rest the holy spirit brings rest and as he brings rest uh that rest is ablaze with joy and so it says the holy spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of god 
the, the Holy Spirit at a level that's deeper than brain. In fact, we tend always to point somewhere here when we're talking about it. It's a, it's a witness in our heart where, again, as I've said often before, we have a brain, a real physical brain in our heart, which is more powerful than this brain. And the Bible speaks of, of this area. It says, out of your innermost being. Uh, and actually, the word there could be out of your womb. It, it's, it's, it's about here. I mean, a physical spot in your body. And the Holy Spirit witnesses. And, and, and you know, I'm his child. I'm his child. And there, there are times when he would see me rolls over us. And in that moment, it's an inner rising of joy and all rest, uh, divine relaxation. When, when I know there is nothing that I can do except give thanks to the God who has taken the initiative and in Jesus Christ has forgiven me and welcomed me and I in him and he in me, I am a child before the Father. Holy Spirit does that. You can't concoct it. You, you, you can't get that by studying with your brain. The Holy Spirit has got to take what we study and make it alive. He's got to bring our brain into our heart and there fill us with the Spirit. And so it says 2 Corinthians one twenty one. It, it, it speaks of the Holy Spirit anointing us. And John says, the anointing that you have received. That's why I say you find this all over the place. It's, it's taught, we have been welcomed, like the prodigal brought into the father's house and put on the party robe, anoint with the oil of joy and hear it. You are my son. You are my son. You were lost. You are found. You are you were dead, you are alive. Joy, joy, let us be merry. Bring on the minstrels, let the dance begin. Yes, that's in the Bible. I mean, prodigal son, but it's reflected all the way through the Psalms, if we dare read them. Um, it's the Holy Spirit anointing us. This is the believer, you see. Believer isn't somebody who has just studied till they've got a migraine. A believer is someone that the person who is in this book actually witnesses that he dwells within us and takes these words and actually applies them in experience and they come alive. And if we have eyes to see, such believers glisten that there is light Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He says, you are light in the Lord. It is so. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is always spoken of in, in these terms. Have you noticed it? it? It says the Holy Spirit is poured out. I mean, it's an interesting expression to be speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit that he's poured out. But like oil is poured upon us as we walk into our day, but as we also recognize we are the guests of God declared to be his children. The Holy Spirit is poured upon us. The love of God is poured out in our heart. And another expression used of the Holy Spirit 
which is a little lost in our uh, English language, but it says uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, which is an expression which means to embrace, but uh, not only just a, a hug, it means a bear hug. It means to enfold in your arms. The Holy Spirit does that to you and I. He not only is poured out within us, he is the arms of God's love that embraces us like the perfume of the anointing oil and holds us to himself. That, that's good. The Holy Spirit is the person of God actually in application in our lives, implementing his promises, bringing it to pass within us. That's the Holy Spirit. So that as that, that perfume entered the nostrils and through the brain filled the whole person, so the Holy Spirit takes all the promises and the purposes and the thoughts of God concerning you and in that embrace, in that pouring out, what does it say? He works in us to will and to do of the good pleasure of God. So the Holy Spirit is the love of God, is the love of God in action, is the love of God dancing through our entire person. He is the radiance of God in our lives that people see with eyes that it's not physical. You don't glow, but in another sense, you do. You do. I think you know it. You, you, in many occasions, in a crowd, you can pick out such a person. I, I think you've done that. Uh, you, you, you see a person. There, there is. There's the only word I can use: a glisten, a glow. I'm not physical, but it's, it's, it's that you're seeing with your inner eyes a person who is light in the Lord. Tears. He, he releases that power, the beauty power of the finished work of Jesus. He releases that into us. So we're not just those poor souls who know about it, but we are persons who know it. And, and it's the Holy Spirit who does that. I, I might say this to, well, I was going to say preachers, pastors, but anyone who shares this in any kind of public way, a home Bible study, a Sunday school class, wherever you would be sharing, um, teaching, proclaiming the gospel, let me just urge you with all the urging of my heart, depend entirely upon the Holy Spirit, entirely depend upon the fresh oil which enables you to bless, impart, open the eyes of the people. Everything you say can be the truth, but unless the Spirit of truth applies it to you and to your hearers, they will be bored to tears. I remember, and this, 
is an aside. It's, it's not what I planned, but it's coming very strongly to me. When, when I was 14, uh, and I had just begun to, I hesitate to say preach. Um, it was a far cry from preaching. But I was sharing what a 14 years old a heart knew of God. And, and I suppose it was a bit of a curiosity and for some reason, known only to God, they invited me to speak at the area convention. That, that, I mean, not every pastor got that invitation, but they invited me along with a, a, a stable of pastors. We were going to speak. I said, I don't know what got in them to ask me, but I did. I was 14. To me, that I... I waited on God, I prepared my message, I prayed over it, I called upon the Holy Spirit. I went to that meeting with, with the 110% hunger, let me be anointed with fresh oil. And then I was ushered into that room where all the pastors were who were going to speak. And um, they took little notice of me as I sat there just waiting for my opportunity, praying the Holy Spirit, use my words, give me the words. And I began to notice these other fellows and, and that they had their sermon notebooks and they pulled them out of their bags. And I noticed that all the pages were yellowed with age. You know, it had been a long time since they had written these notes probably preached them many times, and they were flipping. I can see it to this day. They were flipping through the pages, and they were talking among themselves, saying, well, this, this, this was a good sermon. This should, this should be good. No, no, I think I'd try this. Very obviously, they hadn't given any thought or any sense of what they were about to do. They were just looking for what they were calling a good sermon and comparing among themselves. And I may be overreacted as a 14-year-old, but I, it was used of the Lord to make me realize you can do nothing. You have nothing. You cannot communicate with people with old stuff. It has got to be fresh in this moment, as fresh as the present Holy Spirit freshly opening your eyes, freshly joying your heart. And because of that one incident, I never, ever preached a sermon twice in all my years. Obviously, I was preaching the same text, but I will go back over it. Every time I preach, I come back again and say, let's start again, Holy Spirit. Show me this text as I've never seen it before. And it may come out very much the same, but it's fresh. It's alive. And I don't know why I threw that in, but there are pastors here. I know that. And uh, there, there are those of you that are faithful in your Sunday school teaching and so on. Never, never, never stand before people without recognizing you anointed with fresh oil are there in order to anoint them with the fresh oil of the Spirit as you speak. See, well, once, once the Holy Spirit is working, the truth is no longer in a bottle as a bottle of true facts. The Holy Spirit's the one that pulls out the 
cork and the aroma of truth fills the hearts, the nostrils and the brains and the cells until our entire being is dancing in God. Look at these words. Jesus said, I in you. That's not just head understanding. That's the Holy Spirit himself in us bringing into us the very presence of Jesus. As I've said, he's poured out into us like oil, bringing to us the reality of all that he's done. Jesus said, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and it's a link to that, fell upon that embrace of the Spirit. And then the other word that was used by John the Baptist, which we often overlook, when he saw Jesus and he had come to introduce Jesus to the world and he saw Jesus and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, that was the first thing he said. But many people miss the second thing he said. I mean, when he said Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world, he was defining who Jesus is and what he has come to do. But then he said a second thing as to who Jesus is and what he's come to do. He said, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That was the second thing, the two two together, Lamb of God. And so Jesus described as the Lamb whose blood cleanses from sin, but he's described in the same breath as the the bearer of the Spirit, and he shall plunge you into that Spirit as the dimension in which you now live, as surely as baptism in the Greek language meant when a ship has sunk to the bottom of the ocean, and there it lays, the water is in the ship, and the ship's in the water, and the Greek used the word baptizo. It meant the ship has sunk to the bottom and the only dimension world that that ship knows now is water. And so, baptized with the Holy Spirit, he says, this Jesus shall plunge you into the person of the Spirit and that Spirit shall be your intimate friend. He shall be your personal empowerer. You will be anointed with the fresh oil. They're all words of penetration, infusion, relationship. That's the, that's the way it is. The, this aroma of the inner joy of God. It, it is that we rejoice and we be glad in God and unto God. And in everything we give thanks. That's what he's talking about. Uh, have you... Have you ever been in in a, I'm thinking it could be anywhere, but but in in a store, um, especially a big one, and and you walk into an aisle and you you smell a perfume, somebody who is wearing a perfume has passed through that aisle and they leave behind the aroma of their perfume. Um... Christians are described like that, that that we have the aroma of the Holy Spirit, who is God, God present, God with us, God in us, 
God's love poured in us, God's love pouring out of us. And the Bible describes that as a lingering scent. It, it, I know you're looking at me weird right now, but, but let me read to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through, listen, through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Wow. Did you hear that? Because that's exactly what we're talking about. It says that through us diffuses, diffuses, or manifests. It's Put it this way, it's not so secret no one would know. It means that we diffuse the world that we call our world in this hour, in this moment, and in some way we manifest in that world the glory of God, that Christ lives in us, that he is our life, he is our love. And that can be in a smile, it can be in a look, it can be in a touch, it can be in an action, as well as in a word. It says, through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Verse 15, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. He says that we are, come on, you, you, you are a perfume bottle of Christ. So, so he says, and, and those who are being saved we, we pick up that, that glorious aroma of the presence of Jesus in, in one another, but also those who are perishing, the lost, the world can, can smell Christ. And, and they can get mad at us. Have you noticed that? They get mad at us for seemingly nothing. It says we're an aroma of death. We are just by being so alive in Christ, we are showing them that they are dead in what they call life. But to the believer who recognizes the aroma of Christ in us, he says to the other, the believer, the aroma of life leading to life. And of course, among those who are, are lost, if they respond, we become the aroma of life to them too. Amazing. It is amazing to me how the world hates the joy of the Lord. It's amazing. Um, but they do. Because Satan hates joy. There is no harmony in the darkness. There is no true, <laughs> you'll argue with me on this, but there's no true harmonious music in the darkness. There's no music in Satan. Only the, the scratching of the recording. <laughs> you know when that happens? and It's all off-key. Everything about Satan is disharmony. And the smell of Satan is a spirit stench. He stinks. 
Well, I, w I won't go any further on that. I, I think you got the idea. Quickly, David declares he's been anointed with fresh oil. That, that's interesting phrase. I mean, he's saying uh, the oil was not rancid. Uh, it's fresh oil, fresh today. So that the Spirit of God is the freshness. There's a freshness. Because there's nothing old and there's nothing decayed in the Holy Spirit. There is no death. There is no corruption. He is the freshness of immediate bursting life. He is the original springtime. He is ever bursting forth. You could say he's the ever youth, yet at the same time being the wisdom of the ages of ages. He is abounding, overflowing life. I say again, he is freshness. Fresh oil. And that's why the scripture says continually, be open to that ministry of the Spirit for this present moment. And so over and over and over again, these persons who now, in the Acts of the Apostles, who lived in this dimension, this ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit, yet it says, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they were filled with the Spirit. For every new challenge, for every new opportunity, for every new work that is presented to them, every new task, every new act of love that they have to accomplish, every celebration and praise, every revelation of God's love continually filled with the Spirit. That is that relationship that is ever saying, I don't have this in myself I am a person defined by my union with the one who lives within me by the fresh oil. Therefore, in all of those things, I have divine strength, divine wisdom, divine understanding. And that doesn't come with lightning and shakings and blubberings. It comes quietly. You know most of it. After the fact, you look back and realize that you operated with a peace. You lived in a joy. You had a strength. You had a wisdom. And at the time, it seemed very normal. But afterwards, you realize that was 100% God. I could never have done that, been that, thought that apart from him. So what, what, what stops us from living in fresh oil of the Holy Spirit? I mean, the new covenant is the covenant of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant doesn't work without the Holy Spirit's application of that into our life. So why wouldn't a person continually rise in the morning to receive the fresh oil that is unique for the day? I think there are, well, I won't give numbers, but... Far too many who simply don't know. They have, they have not been taught. And in some cases, it was not an oversight that they weren't taught. It was deliberate because religion hates the Holy Spirit. 
They're terrified of the Holy Spirit because you can't intellectualize him. He is God here and now. You can't talk about love with the Holy Spirit. He is the love of God. And so religion and all the places where so many of our dear pastors were trained, those places are terrified of the Holy Spirit. And so by the time the pastor comes to teach the people, there is no Holy Spirit in what he says, nor does he tell the people that they can't live without the Holy Spirit. So people don't know. It's like when Paul went to Ephesus and he found these believers, but he noticed there's something wrong. There's something missing here. And he said to them, because he could identify there's only one thing missing when life is missing, and that's the Holy Spirit. He said to Max 19, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Ah, okay, we know. And so Paul immediately um, righted that situation. I trust that what I've said in the last hour has introduced, if there's any such people watching tonight, um, I've introduced you to this dimension of the Holy Spirit. And to those of you that already knew that, I trust I've introduced you to the vastness and the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit as our life, our normal, natural life. There are others who did not, do not realize that this life in the Spirit is part of our salvation, not an add-on for a spiritual elite. Wish I had another hour. Um, see, I, I came to know the Holy Spirit among a, a dear, beautiful group of people, but they did not know this. They, they thought that the Holy Spirit was the add-on and therefore a second experience, and therefore it was for some elite that would work their way through to that second experience. And um, they, they called it, in those ancient days, we called it tarrying for the Spirit. It was to wait for the Spirit, in which you were supposed to get your act together, which meant you'd have to give up this and give up that and give up the other and cry and plead and beg and whine and howl and, and do anything. Please, 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 I need the Holy Spirit. Not realizing that the Holy Spirit is part of being saved. Gee, Paul said no one um, is, a, is a Christ you, you, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. If any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Uh, the, no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And every believer, it says, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? But bless your heart, there are people who don't know that. And so they're trying to convince God they're holy enough to receive the Spirit. And, of course, that can be a very difficult journey. And in, in most cases, you finally come to the end of yourself, and that's when you realize the Spirit is there. Um, when my parents first came to visit me in the States, and, and I come, my background is extreme poverty. We lived... Um, well, we were very poor. And, and I, I 
had the money now I was in the States, I sent my parents the, the ticket to come across and visit. And so they, they got on the plane. But of course, their mentality was that we don't have it and anything that looks extremely good must be for the rich, the elite. And so they, they got on the plane in Heathrow Airport in London and um, they hadn't had time to eat. And as the plane took off and began the trip across the Atlantic, um, the, the steward came and says, now, here's, here's the menu. What would you like to eat? This, this is a long time ago. You get peanuts today. But these were the days when you got a full meal. And, and um, my, my father said, no, 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 thank you. We, we, we're not eating. Um, because he thought you had to pay for it. He, he thought I had purchased the ticket for them to come over, but now on the plane they had to pay for their meal and he didn't have the money. And so he said, no, thank you. And they brought all these things. I mean, in those days, you got a lot of food brought to you in the plane, especially when you fly in the Atlantic. And, and finally, the steward looked at them. He said, aren't you hungry? Don't, don't, I mean, we're offering you all of this. And my, my father very shamedly said, I'm sorry, we just don't have enough money to buy the, the dinner. And the steward said, he said, bless your heart, this was all purchased in the ticket. You can, you can not only have all that I've been offering, you can have second helpings. And my father and mother did. They ate like they hadn't eaten in years. They ate everything that was presented at their table and they could, did catch up. They, they ate everything that had been presented. I've never forgotten that because I see believers thinking that Jesus simply died to get you to heaven instead of realizing his death and resurrection and ascension was to plunge you into a now life in the Holy Spirit to the fullest extent, all things are yours. Well, my time has gone, and I hope, if nothing else, I have brought about a hunger in your heart that you might be anointed with fresh oil. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, rest upon you, creating in you a hunger and thirst after all that Jesus died and rose again to give you. And may that blessing be rich in your life, bringing to pass all that your heart desires. So I bless you, and so it is. Malcolm Smith's ministry is dedicated to guiding believers into the reality of experiencing daily fellowship with the Father. This has been another message by Malcolm Smith. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including a full catalog, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org.